Luke's chapter 18 as well as Matthew 6. Uh, we'll start in Matthew 6 and then we'll turn over. But I, I do have plenty of notes uh, or verses in the notes that I will read to you. If you click on the draw, you can get to them. These many, these, many of these points have a, have a parallel verse to them. But if you're not that fast, then you can just look at them later and just trust that I'm going to read to you from the Bible. And I'm not just making things up as I, this sounds good, I think I'll say this. 1 Kings 18 is the, and then Matthew 6. So we're going to, I kind of want to come back to the first two verses of our passage this morning, which was about how the Gentiles pray. And something early in my study uh, got me to 1 Kings 18, and it kind of stuck in the back of my head, and and I, I kept moving forward without it and realizing it has a significance that I couldn't really put my finger on. And and as, as things continued to form, uh, then I realized this is how we'll come back on Sunday night and see these things. And it's really just kind of, a, of, an, of an illustration of the type of prayer that Jesus teaches us not to pray is, as far as that the heathen pray. So we'll just read these two verses in Matthew 6 and starting in verse number 7. But when ye pray, use not vain repetitions as the heathen do. They think that they shall be heard for their much speaking. Be, ye, be not ye therefore like unto them, for your, for your Father knoweth what things ye have need of before ye ask Him. Now, I think that they would have probably understood right away what Jesus was referring to, but in our day and time, we don't necessarily go immediately to present day illustrations. But I think that if you're familiar with your Bible stories and you're familiar with 1 Kings 18, so let's turn there. And if you're not, I think you I think you are, but if you're not, then uh, it's a pretty interesting story. 1 Kings and uh, chapter 18 is the contest between Elijah and the false prophets of Baal. Just to give you a little bit of context before the story, there have been, at the beginning of chapter 18, because Ahab has been uh, leading Israel down a very bad path, God instructs Elijah to uh, pray that there will be no rain, to, to hold rain, um, I'm sorry, off the, uh, off the earth. Did I say 18? I, mean, I think I meant... Uh, nope, I said 18. It says, and it came to pass after many days that the word of the Lord came to Elijah in the third year, saying, Go, show thyself unto Ahab, and I will send rain upon the earth. And Elijah went in and showed himself to Ahab, and there was a uh, there was a sore famine in Samaria. So there had been a famine going on. It had been about three years that, it, that this famine had been happening, and there's a lot of back and forth going on. Elijah is kind of a wanted man. He's the he's the one that Ahab says, You're the one that troubles Israel. And Ahab, uh, Elijah says, no, actually, you're the one who's troubling Israel. You're the reason that we have this no fam, uh, no, no rain. Seven years. Maybe it was three years. Did I say three years? I think it was seven years, but it could have been, could have been one, of the, one of the, one year's a bad thing, but I, it's, it's a, anybody know the, the number offhand? Anybody know their Bible story better than me? I thought it was three years, man. Then I thought, then a thought came to mind, it said seven. It's three. Margie says three, so. All right. The, uh, I was right. I feel better about that. The uh, the 
the people, though, have been swayed from their their uh, belief in a one true God. The the land has been overtaken with the false idols of the heathen around them. So the people that we're talking about in our story aren't necessarily what we would consider heathen. They're act, they're the Israelites. They're God's people, but they have been so uh, introduced to the false worship that they are pretty much acting like the heathen would do. If we jump up to uh, verse number uh, verse number 18, uh, verse 17 here, uh, and it came to pass when Ahab saw Elijah that Ahab said unto him, Art thou he that troubleth Israel? And he answered, I have not troubled Israel, but thou and thy father's house and that ye have forsaken the commandments of the Lord, and thou hast followed Balaam. Now therefore send and gather to me all Israel unto Mount Carmel, and the prophets of Baal, 450, and the prophets of the grove, 400, which eat at Jezebel's table. And uh, so Ahab sent unto the children of Israel, and gathered the prophets together unto Mount Carmel. And Elijah came unto all the people and said, How long halt ye between two opinions? If the Lord be God, follow him. But if Baal, then follow him. And the people answered him not a word. So this is the, the if we want to choose one verse, this is the, the context of this whole story is this last verse we read here. They're halting between two opinions. They're stumbling. They can't make up their minds. They're the, the man in James that is, that is double-minded. And, he, and he's unstable in all his ways. They don't really know, is God really God? Or are these gods? Baal uh, is, the, is, the, is the other option here for them. The, 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 the queen Jezebel has her prophets and there's, there's, uh, there's 800 and different, 850 different prophets that are mentioned here. And Elijah says, I'll take them all on. And, and we're, you call, Ahab call all Israel to Mount Carmel. We're gonna have, uh, we're gonna have a little showdown here and we're gonna, we're gonna get the people there because the people need to make a decision. It's kinda like how Joshua told the people in, in his, in his book, uh, choose you this day whom you serve. If it's going to be the gods on the on the other side of the flood, or it's gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell, then do it. If it seem evil unto you to serve the Lord, then choose who you're going to serve. Stop going back and forth. You need to see the truth. But Elijah here wants to point them to the true God. Who is the true God? And he and he uh, uh, kind of confronts them in their in their unbelief and in their um, their uh, heathen uh, tendencies here. But notice what it says. They answered him not a word. Like, we don't know. <laughs> we don't know what's going on. We're not really sure. So Elijah says in verse 22, uh, he says this a couple of times, I, even I, only remain a prophet of the Lord, but Baal's prophets are 450 men. Uh, let them therefore give us two bullocks and let them choose one bullock for themselves and cut it in pieces and lay it on wood and put no fire under and I will dress the other bullock and lay it on wood and put no fire under and call you on the name of your gods and I will call on the name of the Lord. And the God that answereth by fire, let him be God. And all the people answered and said, it is well spoken. He said, all right, that's, that's good enough. Fair enough rules. So the, the, the contest has been laid out. The rules have been there. Uh, each of you will have an altar. Each of you will have a bullock. And you will put no fire on there, but you're going to get it all laying right there. And you pray to your God and the God who answers by fire, that is the God. So this is the test. Whoever answers by fire is the true God. The people say, all right, we'll take it. Okay. So then we move on. He says there in verse number 25, 
Uh, and Elijah said unto the prophets of Baal, Choose you one bullock for yourselves, and dress it first, for ye are many, and call on the name of your gods, but put no fire under. And they do these things. And uh, verse, verse 26, they took the bullock which was given them, and they dressed it, and called on the name of Baal from morning even until noon, saying, O Baal, hear us. There was no voice, nor any that answered. And they leaped upon the altar which was made. And it came to pass at noon that Elijah mocked them and said, Cry aloud, for he's a god. Either he is talking, or he is pursuing, or he's in a, in a journey, or peradventure he sleepeth and must be awake. And they cried aloud and cut themselves after their manner with knives and lancets till the blood gushed out upon them. And it came to pass when the midday was past, and they prophesied until the time of the offering of the evening sacrifice that there was neither voice nor any to answer nor any that regarded. I want to kind of look at this, these, these, these verses right here and uh, highlight a little bit of their prayer and see how closely it resembles what Jesus is talking about. And then at the end, come back and, and circle. Really, there's not much to talk about Elijah's prayer because it was real simple. He didn't get much out and God he answered by fire. But let's, let's uh, come back and look at some of these verses. If you go back to verse 26, we see that the false prophets, they prayed from morning until noon. I don't know exactly what the morning time would have been. In my mind, I automatically think 9 o'clock. But it could have been, you know, I don't know what time morning would have been. Uh, for some of you, morning is about 4 o'clock in the morning. Todd is up at 4 o'clock in the morning. And, and, uh, and then some of us, uh, morning starts when normal people get up. But uh, there's, there's, a, there's a, a long uh, prayer time with these guys, and they're praying, O Baal, hear us. Now, I don't know if this is all that they were saying, I kind of think that that's, this is just what they were saying over and over again because uh, this, is, this is all that's recorded there. But maybe they were saying other things, but they were praying, God, uh, Baal, our God, hear us, answer us. Uh, you know, do, do what, we, what we ask you to do. And it says that they, they, uh, they're, they're, they're leaping upon the altar. Now, I don't, I don't think, you know, if you read that literally, I think that sounds like they're jumping on the altar. If they expected their God to answer by fire. You don't want to be jumping on the altar while it's happening. But I, so I, but I think they're jumping around it. They're dancing around it is really what they're doing if you study it into it. They're, they're, they're doing their, their, their rain dance, if you will, trying to get their God to answer them by fire. And by noon, nothing has happened. So there's, there's at least a couple of hours have gone where they have prayed. So if we're, if we're keeping in mind Jesus' prayer, uh, or Jesus is teaching about how the heathen pray. They've prayed many words. They've used vain repetitions. Uh, th- this is this is qu- classified as much as a heathen prayer as any. And so Elijah begins to mock them in verse 27. It came to pass at noon. Elijah mocked them, saying, "Cry aloud, louder, guys! Why? He is a god. Notice he is a god. He is a god because a god is anything that comes in between you and it's it's anything that you worship." You can be a god if you come. You know, you you become a false god. Not not saying that you get to be the god, but you you become a god when you put yourself above all things. Uh, you can have another person be a god when you put that person above all things. And so he's saying, "Yeah, Baal's a god. You worship him. You don't worship the true god. You worship these false gods." And he says, "Yeah, cry aloud. He's a god. Why? Why? Well, he should be able to hear you." And notice the answers that he gives there. Either he is talking. Or he is pursuing, or he is on a journey, or peradventure he sleepeth and must be awake. 
These, these things are, are interesting there. Cry aloud. Uh, I'm sorry, maybe he's talking there. I looked at some of these words to try to dig into them a little bit there. Uh, he, some some uh, translations would say he was he's meditating here. As he's, he's talking to another god or he's meditating, he's musing here. But the idea here is that he's not always attentive. You know, we teach our kids don't interrupt when someone else is talking because they can't do two things at once, right? And then that's what Elijah's saying, hey, interrupt. Your God, maybe he's talking to someone else. Maybe he's talking to one of the other gods. So interrupt and get his attention. Cry louder. Be annoying. Be loud. Be obnoxious. And get your God's attention. He says uh, maybe he is pursuing. This is an interesting one. Uh, because the more, the more I look at it, the more, the, the, more uh, the vaguer it gets as far as what this could mean. Uh, and you can, you can uh, you know, I get the idea of, of him pursuing, going in another going in another direction, turning aside, if you will. Uh, and really, it's, it, it could be understood that he's just is not always interested. He's doing something else right now that's got his attention. I would rather be doing what I'm doing right now. I've turned aside to look at this or to do this thing rather than do what you want me to do. He's not always interested. And he said, well, maybe he's on a journey. Maybe he's just far away and you just need to shout a little louder because he's not as close as, he wa- as you thought he was. Meaning, he's not always there, not always present. Or maybe he's asleep. Maybe he's just not alert. Maybe he's just not awake. Maybe you've got to wake your God up. Now be careful there because you might, he might be grumpy God. And you don't want to wake your God up uh, un, uh, uh, you know, inappropriately and then get him, get him angry at you. So cry aloud. And Elijah's mocking him because Elijah knows he's not real. He's the God that, that Psalms talks about, has ears but cannot hear, eyes but cannot see, feet but cannot walk, hands but cannot cannot do anything. And, and this is the kind of God that, that, that Baal is, and Elijah knows that. And he's doing this for the people's sake, and he's and really at the expense of these prophets of Baal who truly believe that their God, Baal, is real, and he will answer by fire. We, we read this story knowing, of course, Baal isn't going to answer by fire. God wouldn't, even if Satan wanted to, you know, try to uh, pervert that and, and get in and send fire, God would not let them because that would his people are in the balance here. And God was going to win this contest. But the people, the prophets of Baal here, were, were convinced that their God would answer by fire. They, they, that, that's why they did this for so long. I wonder how long you and I would have lasted if we had been these prophets. Like, it's been five minutes and he's not doing it. Is he really going to do this? I mean, it's been three hours now. Are we going to keep doing this? It's been all day. And they go until the time of the evening sacrifice. The Israel had been commanded to do morning and evening sacrifices. And so it was the time for this evening sacrifice. They've gone all day. But notice what they've done. Not only are they shouting louder, but they begin to cut themselves. They're hurting themselves. Trying to get their God's attention until it says the blood gushed out. This is not just a, a little a little trickle. This is, this is cutting themselves with swords and with lances until they're, they're bleeding everywhere. It's a, just imagine this is a bloody mess. We have 400 prophets cutting themselves. They're dancing around the altar. They're shouting. They're chanting. It's chaos. It's messy. It's really sad. You have 450 people who truly believe that their God is going to answer them. They have many words. They're using vain repetitions. But nothing. They're going to get nothing. By the time of the evening sacrifice, notice how it, how it ends there. There was neither voice, nor any to answer, nor any that regarded. No, no answer. 
That means with no fire, nothing, nothing at all. Not even fire, but no, no voice, not even a, a, a poof of smoke, not even a, a, a stirring. But also it says no one regarded, no one even paid attention. Meaning, well, what else was their God going to do? He's a false, he's an idol. He can't do any of these things. These prophets believed that they would be heard by praying loud and long. They believed that hurting themselves, by hurting themselves, they would get their God's attention. Jumping up and dancing around would get Baal to respond to their prayer. This does not sound like a father relationship. What type of a father makes you uh, hurt yourself to be able to get his attention? What type of a father would go all day long ignoring his children? What type of a father would uh, require his people to uh, really embarrass themselves all day long without answering them? Matthew 6 tells us there, this is exactly how they behave though. But I like, as I was thinking about these four things that they did, these four actions that they did, our Father, on the other hand, is very opposite. Our Father is always attentive. Job 34, His eyes are upon the ways of man, and He seeth all His goings. God sees everything you do. Uh, Psalm 34, The eyes of the Lord are upon the righteous. And his ears are open unto their cry. First Peter 3.12 For the eyes of the Lord are over the righteous, and his ears are open unto their prayers, but the face of the Lord is against them that do evil. God sees even the evil. God is not inattentive. He's always attentive. He's always paying attention. Number two, God is always interested. He's always, he's not ever pursuing something else and says, you know what? I don't have time for you, child. He's always interested. Listen to Psalm 115. The Lord hath been mindful of us. He's mindful of us. He thinks about us. Think about it. He is, I hate to put God into human terms, but if, if to try to understand the, 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 whoever, whatever, human on this earth would be the busiest person in the world. I don't know who that would be, but I always think of like the president. He's probably a pretty busy guy, right? He can't think about us all the time. You know, the president you know, the president we have now, he has a son that lives in the White House with him, you know, and, and little Baron uh, doesn't get to just have dad's full attention all day long. His dad is a very busy man. And yet our father is way busier He's not ruling a country. He's God of the universe. And he has time for me. He's always attentive. He's never gone doing something else, and I just can't be there with you today, son. I just can't. I don't have the time, or I, I only have five minutes. He's got time for me. He's always there. Listen, uh, what it says, the Lord has been mindful of us. He will bless us. He will bless the house of Israel. He will bless the house of Aaron. Proverbs 15 says that the eyes of the Lord are in every place, beholding the evil and the good. He always sees. He's always interested. Number three, he's always present. He's never not there. No one can ever say of our God, he's gone on a journey, out to lunch, we'll be back at three o'clock. That's not how it works. He's always there. Listen, Psalm 145, 18. The Lord is nigh unto all them that call upon him. To all that call upon Him in truth. 
Jesus, even when Jesus left this earth uh, and went back to heaven, he said, Lo, I am with you always. Always be with you. He said, I will, if Hebrews, I will never leave you or forsake you. God is always present. Number four, and last, he is always alert. God doesn't go to sleep. He doesn't sleep. And he says there, uh, Psalm 121 there, I will lift up mine eyes unto the hills from whence cometh my help. My help cometh from the Lord, which made heaven and earth. He will not suffer thy foot to be moved. He that keepeth thee will not slumber. Behold, he that keepeth Israel shall neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord is thy keeper. The Lord is thy shade upon thy right hand. The sun shall not smite thee by day, nor the moon by night. The Lord shall preserve thee from all evil. He shall preserve thy soul. The Lord shall preserve thy going out and thy coming in from this time forth and even forevermore. God is always there. And there, there's bad things happening to me and the Lord is right there. And He's active and He's present and He's involved. He's always attentive. He's always interested. Always present. And always alert. It's very different than how these, these prophets prayed in, in first, in first Kings. Now we, we, we take just a few moments and we look at Elijah's prayer. Elijah's prayer is very similar to Jesus' model. Jesus' model prayer um, is, it has a lot of similarities to Elijah's prayer here. Look there in verse number 30. And, it came, and Elijah said to all the people, Come near unto me. And all the people came near unto him. And he repaired the altar of the Lord that was broken down. And Elijah took twelve stones, according to the number of the tribes of the sons of Jacob, unto whom the word of the Lord came, saying, Israel shall be thy name. And with the stones he built an altar in the name of the Lord. And he made a trench about the altar. As great it was, was contained two measures of seed. It's a deep ditch all the way around this altar. And he put the wood in order and cut the bullock in pieces and laid him on the wood and said, fill four barrels with water and pour it on the burnt sacrifice and on the wood. And if you've ever tried to light something on fire, you know that the best way to do it is not by getting it wet first. That's the bad way to do it. But also... We're in the middle of a drought. There has been no rain, which means water is very valuable. Water is very precious, and he's wasting water by dumping it on this animal sacrifice. But what's he doing? He's stacking the odds even more against him, saying, not only can my God burn up a dry sacrifice, my God's going to get one that's sopping wet. Not only he does it the first time, he says, do it the second time. And they did it the second time. Do it the third time. They did it the third time. And the water ran round about the altar and filled the trench also with water. This is significant because this is one of the most precious resources these people have right now. Not only are they going to offer an offering of, of, a, of a bullock, they're going to offer the offering of water, which is a big deal at the time. It came to pass at the time of the offering of the evening sacrifice, Elijah the prophet came near and said, this is, I think, a 62-word prayer. Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and of Israel, let it be known this day that Thou art God in Israel, and that I am Thy servant, and that I have done all these things at Thy word. Hear me, O Lord, hear me, that this people may know that Thou art the Lord God, and that Thou hast turned their heart back again. It took less than 60 seconds. About the same length as it takes us to say the Lord's Prayer. And what happens? Then the fire of the Lord fell and consumed the burnt sacrifice and the wood and the stones and the dust 
and licked up the water that was in the trench. He utterly consumed every bit of that. I wonder how close Elijah was standing when he did this. Elijah knew was God was going to answer by fire. And if you've ever stood by the grill, you know it's grilling season. You know how when you turn on the propane and you forget how long it's been on and then you go to light it and you lose your eyebrows? I bet you Elijah lost his eyebrows that day. I bet you a lot of people had to stand a little. A fire coming from heaven that hot and for that long, I bet you a lot of people got, got, uh, got a little too close. Scary. This is God. He didn't take all day long. He didn't take self-mutilation. He didn't take uh, jumping up and down and acting like a fool. He took the prayer of a righteous man. That's why James says the effective, effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much because this is what Elijah was doing. Elijah prayed a 60-word prayer, 60-some word prayer, that was short, power-packed, and effective, which is exactly what Jesus' model prayer is. So much truth in there. Three things that he prayed for. If really we could, we could eliminate some of the things that he prayed for because he was pretty flowery in even his words, how he introduced God. As Jesus says, our Father who art in heaven, he uses the words of Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel. We could cut, if we just took out the introduction, we are even down to less. Let it be known that thou art God in Israel and that I am thy servant and that I've done all these things according to thy word. Hear me that this people may know that thou art the Lord God and you have turned their hearts back again. Poof, the fire fell. He asked for three things here. That the people would see that he was God's servant. That it wasn't, that this wasn't about him. This is about God. God, I don't want people to think that this is me doing this. God, do what you're going to do and let the people know that you're God. Number two, that I'm your servant. I want the people, he says in verse 37 there, that the people may know that you are God. God, do this so that they will know, because these are the people that he says you have halted between two opinions. You can't decide if God is God or if Baal is God. Let those people know, may they leave today very certain. May no one leave today with any doubt on who is the real God. And thirdly, may the people see their own repentance. Now it's interesting how he words this. That thou hast, and it says that, um, that this people may know that thou art the Lord God and that thou hast turned their heart back again. Not that they would turn their heart back again. Because Elijah is banking on when they see the true God answer by fire, they're going to turn their hearts back again. They will repent. And so he doesn't pray that they will repent. He, re- he prays that they will know, that they'll see their repentance that they would see their own repentance there. Let me read it again. That this people may know that thou art the Lord God and that thou hast turned their heart back again. That they may know you've turned their heart back to you. That's what Elijah prayed for. Let me, in just the last four or five minutes that we have, let me give you three applications regarding prayer, uh, proper prayer, from this passage and then also tying it into Matthew chapter 6. And let me, let me finish up with the, 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 the last verse there. I didn't finish the result there. Verse number 39. When all the people saw it, they fell on their face and they said, the Lord, He is the God. The Lord, He is the God. Exactly what was intended. Prayer answered. People repented. People turned back to God. So three applications. Number one, proper prayer. This is kind of what we covered this morning. 
proper prayer aligns my will with God's will. That's why we pray. I pray that God would be glorified. Let me encourage you to pray this week with the Lord's Prayer, either in your face and before you or in the back of your mind as you pray and try to align those prayers that we have, our prayer list as we pray for sick people or as we pray for opportunities. It will change the way you pray and it will, it will, it will change the way you ask for certain things because you're trying to get God's will in these things. And it almost can, the way that I prayed this prayer, which one of these will it line up? Which one of these six things that Jesus taught us to pray, how will they line up with these things? Because if I can't line them up with these things, I shouldn't pray that way. Maybe I could still pray for that thing, but not in the way that I've just asked. Or it might be that maybe I should, you know, if I'm praying that God will give me a red Lamborghini, that doesn't fall into any of the six things that Jesus said. But when I pray properly, it aligns my will with God's Word. And notice, it does, I don't say prayer aligns me with God's Word. Because you can pray. These guys pray. They talk to their God. But it didn't align them with God's will. Proper prayer. Praying Jesus' way. Aligns my will with God's will. First, Matthew 6, 9-15, which is the Lord's Prayer. And then notice in 1 Corinthians 18-37 there. This, is, this was Elijah's prayer that the people may know that you are the Lord God and that you have turned their heart back again. He's realigned them to His will. Number two, proper prayer is a testimony to other people. When I pray the right way, I'm actually being a witness to you and to everybody else around me. Because it's true worship. It's a, it's a testimony of God's power. It's a testimony of God's sovereignty. When I pray, and I don't pray for me, and sometimes when I pray for God's will, it doesn't sound like it should sound from a human's perspective. I'm praying that I'm thanking God for the trials that I have. Or I'm, I'm praying not that I would have enough for today, tomorrow, and next week. I'm praying for today. And I'm, and I, and I'm asking God to help me with these things today. And, and one of the things that, 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 that has been impressed upon me lately is I think as I'm praying I'm thinking about all of the things that are going to happen to me that day there are many things that are going to happen to me that day and I think about okay God how is this going to how can I fit this into your plan I'm going to be here I prayed this morning I'm going to be at church this morning I'm going to be in in, in, in Sunday school and 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 talking to people about uh, a membership I'm going to be uh, I knew I was going to be somewhere for lunch today I know we're going to have communion tonight I'm going to play basketball tonight hopefully uh, and, and how can I use these opportunities to serve you and to please you? And, and the more that I've done that, the more I have, I've laid my head down on pillow at the night and, and thought, you know what? I didn't waste these opportunities because I recognized that I was praying for God's will in these things. These weren't selfish activities. These were things that I was doing. And what I found was that there were other things that popped up in the day. I was like, oh, you used me to do this too. I was a part of your plan here too. And I had no idea. This wasn't on my radar. But then it happened, and now you used me to help uh, people. The, the, the first day I prayed, I had like three unexpected appointments that day to talk to people and to encourage them and to help them in, in, in different struggles that they had. And when we, when we pray, we, we become a testimony to other people. Uh, and it really, which means that, which kind of shows us that my praying is not just to be quiet. It's, it's really to be out loud. Elijah did not pray here quietly in a closet. He prayed and he prayed so that other would, other people would hear him. 
but it wasn't for himself. He wasn't trying to get people to say, wow, Elijah, he is the prophet of God. The result was what he wanted. The Lord, he is God. Nobody was looking at Elijah. He just called fire down from heaven, but nobody's looking at him going, whoa. They're looking at heaven. <laughs> he is God. He's, he's God. Man, he's, he's amazing. That's what Elijah's uh, prayer was, and that's what his, that was his motivation. And lives can be changed when we learn to pray properly. If we would pray properly. Last one. Third one. Proper prayer strengthens our own faith. Proper prayer not only helps you, but it helps me. 1 John 5.14 This is the confidence that we have in Him. That if we ask anything, according to His will, He heareth us. And if we know that He hear us, whatsoever we ask, we know that we have the petitions that we desired of Him. But notice, this is confidence that we have in Him. What happens right after this story? Elijah goes on top of the mountain and he prays to end a seven-year or three-year drought or whatever it was. That takes a lot of faith. But that was prayed because of, from a man who watched God answer another prayer that was prayed according to His will. He prayed the prayer to, to bring the rain. That was according to God's will. And you read that story as he went up on the mountain and he prayed, I think, several times. Uh, go back and check and I'm praying for rain and go back and check and finally there's a cloud the size of a man's hand. A small one. He goes, you better get moving because it, it's, about to, it's about the poor. This is, a, this is a confident man that he knew that God was changing people's lives and it's done through prayer. May we learn to pray the way Jesus wants us to. Definitely use this, use this prayer in Matthew 6 to, to recite and to get ingrained in your head. Sometimes when I pray, I just pray through this prayer and I stop at each thing and I try to, try to explain what I mean by that. Not so that I explain it to God what He meant by that, but so that I remember in my head what I'm supposed to be thinking. As I read the quote from Calvin this morning, prayer is not to excite God. It's to excite me to get with God. God doesn't need to get on my page. My page isn't always the right page. My page is pathetic. Yours is too. We need to get on God's page. and That's what prayer does. Prayer isn't about you getting things from God. Unless what you're asking from God is to get on His page. is to get with Him. Can I be on your team? Remember when you were little? or Remember when your kids were little? Daddy, can I help you? Mommy, can I help you? And it was probably easier if they didn't help you because they were going to make it worse. They were going to make it take longer. They were going to make a mess. You, you, they, they effectively doubled your work. But you let them do it anyway. And they felt so big and strong helping Daddy wash the car and making it look dirtier than it was or spilling the flour all over the counter. But they were so proud of themselves for helping that's what we are with God. God, can I help you? God, what do you have going on today? What, what are you going to do in your kingdom that I get to be a part of? This morning, we got to be a part of that encouraging one another in church. We got to be a part of that as we celebrated at the communion table. We get to be a part of that as we go out, as you go to work tomorrow, as you pray tonight or tomorrow throughout the day. God, what do I get to help you with? Daddy, can I help you? Can I be with you today? I want your fellowship. I want your, your forgiveness. I want your will. I want your way, not my way. 
setting pride aside and setting selfish ambition aside and then saying, okay, do with me what you will. I am the, you're the potter, I'm the clay. Here I am. That is worship. That is how we live life in a constant state of worship. That is how we live in a constant state of prayer that we are, we are constantly yielding ourselves to Christ and God, what would you have me to do? We encourage you to come back Wednesday night for prayer meeting. And let's try to focus our, our prayer and see how can I pray for person number 18 on the list the way Jesus taught us to pray. It's a, it's a, it's a, little, it's a little tricky until you figure out how to do it, but it's important that we learn to pray the way Jesus prayed, the way Jesus taught us to pray. Go through the Bible and, 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 and stack up some of these other prayers that we read and see how they fit so closely too. Think about Jesus' prayer in John 17 and see how it fits within the model prayer that he gives us there. Let's, let's finish tonight. We'll pray and we'll be dismissed.